Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op this beautiful Thursday morning. You know, um, I looked at the Republican convention a little bit, and I've listened a lot to the Democratic convention. And I was just so excited about President Obama's speech last night. You know, everybody in the Democratic convention, Bernie Sanders, Michelle Obama, Everybody is talking about cooperation, working together. You know, they end up talking a lot about the first principle of cooperatives, volunteer and open membership, open to all people, this Democratic Party. If you looked around the audience, you saw all kinds of hues, old, young, black, white, Latino. You saw men and women of all ages. And that first principle of cooperation is volunteer and open membership, open to all persons regardless of gender, social, racial, political, financial, economics, uh, religious affiliation. It just doesn't make any difference. You don't discriminate. And it's a big party. You can bring in all, all people. Really like what Bernie Sanders had to say the other night. And it's been quite interesting and educational listening to all of those people talk about America and to just a different point of view. Now, you know, I, I listened to Donald Trump, and in the cooperative sort of framework, it is like listen to everybody's point of view and see if there's a way to embrace uh, how, how can you at least understand somebody else's point of view. And with that understanding, try to find out if there's a way of working together with that other person or persons and their point of view. It would be hard for me (laughs) to agree with much of what he has to say, Uh, but I can agree with most of what the Democrats have been talking about. You know, and whether that was Hillary or Tim Kaine, or President Bill Clinton, or President Barack Obama, or Michelle. They talked about values. And that's what we talked about last week here. We talked about and did a comparison of the values between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. President Obama went back to his grandparents in Kansas City, in the heartland is what he talked about, in Kansas And those values sound a lot like the cooperative values, the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. Now, we had a couple people call in last week to tell us what their view of Hillary's values and Donald's values are. And I 
since I can call him Hillary and Donald because Hillary's 68. I'm 68 now. We'll be 69 in October, and Donald's already 70. So we're all in the same sort of plane growing up in America with different stories, different points of view. Donald grew up rich. He talks about he's made his own billion, but he had a really great start. More than money, his father taught him how to be a real estate developer, and he had contacts, knowing how to use those contacts. So he's far from a self-made man like he wants to talk about. Hillary also grew up middle class. In a way, I grew up middle class in the black community in Bluefield, West Virginia. We didn't know we were poor. My father worked on the railroad. He didn't know how to manage his money, unfortunately. So there were times we went without, but not without values. We were taught values, and we worked together cooperatively as a family, six kids, mom and dad in the household. We owned our home, had indoor water and electricity, not a bathroom, at the outhouse. Those of you who understand outhouse, we had a one-holder. We didn't even have a two-holder. But honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. Hillary was given high marks by the people that called in on her honesty, even though she has been portrayed as dishonest. And Donald Trump, one person said he's brutally honest about his positions. You know, but if you look at the fact-finding on his speech, you would see that he told a lot of untruths. So he brutally honest is what one caller called in last week and said about putting up a wall, making sure that people of the Muslim faith could not come to America, you know, against so many things that America stands for, and selling fear. A lot of the things that he talked about, the facts were just untrue. So he got bad grades, if you will, for honesty open as he won't share his tax returns and Bloomberg talked about and President Obama talked about as a businessman how many people he didn't pay or cheated perhaps. Hasn't been proven, but that's what it sounds like. So Donald Trump uh, got bad marks for honesty and openness, and we just didn't see where he's social responsible in his 70 years on this earth, nor do we see that he cares for other people. Donald Trump seemed to care for Donald Trump. On this apprentice, he had great joy in saying you're fired, not how can I help you change your ways if change was needed. How can I make you a better entrepreneur, a better apprentice? Great joy in firing somebody. So this whole thing of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others, Donald got some bad remarks, bad marks if you Go back to my teaching days, D's and F's. Hillary got A's in social responsibility and A-plus in caring for others when you look at what she's done throughout her career. And if you listen to the people that came up and talked, whether or not they were the firefighters or the police officers out of New York after 9-11 or the young man that had some form of dwarfism and talked about how caring she has been and how she remembered his issues a couple years after they first met. 
was just taken aback on how much she cared and would take out time to care. I've gotten to know a lot more about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> they fit in the campaign trail. She's the most unknown known person in the world. That people know her name as First Lady and Secretary of State and Senator, but really don't know a lot about her. And I, this has been opening my eyes as people have talked about her and what she has done and what she has cared for. Starting with the Children's Defense Fund, Marion Wright Elderman, black lady, caring about people. So she got high grades. The whole thing on honesty for her, that has been interesting and interesting talking to people. Again, Donald calls her Crooked Hillary. It's amazing to me that he will be crooked and call somebody else crooked in his business affairs. Is she honest? After listening to the Democratic National Convention, it looks like she is. It looks like she's in that A and B category, but she has been branded, if you will. She has been demonized to where people call her dishonest. Now, I've, I've had that happen to me. If you're going to be a leader, and if you're going to be honest, it's amazing how people can call you dishonest. No facts, necessarily. Just declare it. Openness is another one. That one has been quite interesting as a politician. It looks like 40 years she's been in the limelight. I also like what President Obama said, that she's better prepared than most to be the president. She's better prepared to be the president than Bill Clinton was or that he was. If you look at her history, if you look at what she has done, including changing the role of first lady, getting in there and working with the House and the Senate to try to get health care for all. She didn't make that, and some people said it was her mistakes and not being inclusive and not being open and not let people knowing what she's doing. But she did get passed health care for children. She got that passed. So what we weren't going to talk about today, and we would like people to call in at 1-800-450-7876. That's 1-800-450-7876. And that's to talk about the values of Tim Kaine and Mike Spence. How are they, the running mates, to Hillary and Donald? You know, at first glance, Mike Pence, governor of of Indiana, when you look at his background, you don't see a lot about him with co-ops, where he is with co-ops. And let me go back to Hillary and Donald, and let, let's grade them, if you will, on their stands for cooperation. Out of everybody, Bernie Sanders did more for co-ops that I could research. He even put a bill before the Senate to put money up for worker co-ops. I saw him, a video of him in a panel of worker cooperatives talking about the benefits of worker cooperatives in Vermont. So he understands solidarity and working together for better economy for the people. This is where he stands. This is why I like cooperatives. It helps people to get the tools they need to control their destiny. I saw that on a plaque at Greenbelt Homes. 
And that's with the fifth principle, that's education, training, and information, that you train people and give them the information that they need to run a business, to run a cooperative, whether it's a worker cooperative, and that's just a cooperative that is owned by the employees, and the employees control the business, owned and controlled, democratically, worker co-ops. And if there's a profit, that's the third principle, if there's a profit, then that profit goes to the workers. And the workers decide where it goes, first of all. It could, they could decide that it stays in the business. They could decide they'll take some money and help form other co-ops. Or they could decide they'll take some of the money and solve some community problem with it, donate it to some organizations. And or they could decide that a portion of that money, if not all of it, could come to them, the workers who own it. And that's why I like worker cooperatives, housing cooperatives, consumer cooperatives, because that's a way that the worker or the consumer can increase their wealth. They increase, increase their social wealth by getting in and learning how to make informed decisions, learning how to look at different points of view, Donald Trump's points of view, and all of those people that follow him makes me pause and want our Democrats and other politicians to pause and look at how many people are afraid in America, how many people don't make enough money to take care of their family, how many people are there out there that are following Donald Trump. I've heard, and I'm from Bluefield, West Virginia, just left there for a couple of days ago and, and just left there yesterday. And in Bluefield and the southern part of West Virginia is cold country. And you ride down in McDowell County, which I think is the poorest county in the U.S., which is right next door to Mercer County where I grew up, there's poverty like you just can't believe. And so for people that have little hope and they listen and they're already afraid, afraid for their children, then too often they reach out and medicate themselves with drugs so that they don't have to look at their environment or feel the pain when they look in their children's eyes because they don't have. Donald Trump may look like the savior to them. So I would suggest to the Democrats, and I already know that they know, that we've got to do something for those people. Those people in a cold country or in that Rust Belt country where manufacturers have left the U.S. to go to other places so they get cheaper labor so that the shareholders of these corporations, particularly the auto industry, iron workers, they make more money. So the decisions are made such, such that in laws passed, TTP, it gives business owners, shareholders, tax breaks for taking their business overseas. That just never made sense to me. And now it's showing why 30, 40 years later. You go through Detroit where I lived one year, worked at Ford in the factory, which made me go back to college. Hard work, drudgery, pain. You go there now and you look at some of those houses that at 18 years old I would have died for, if you will. Beautiful homes. They all boarded up because these factories left so that the wealthy could make more money. Bernie Sanders talked about one-tenth of one percent of the people have more wealth or as much wealth as 90% of Americans. 
something's wrong and it's growing bigger. That gap is getting bigger and bigger and bigger because of the laws that are passed. Citizen United allowed the rich to give whatever they wanted to give. And when they could give whatever they wanted to give, then they could buy politicians. And then the politicians get in and create laws that help the rich make more money or pay less taxes. And all of the rest of us, we end up getting less and less and less. And that's why so many, that's why so many Americans cannot pay, cannot afford to pay for their children's education and for food and for clothing. And then they go medicate themselves to hide from the fears that they have. And therefore, it gets worse. Cooperatives, on the other hand, when you're in a worker cooperative, that's where the workers own and control the business. They make decisions that are best for the workers and the clients and what's best for society. You know, I can see why the wealthy, those one percenters, don't want us to know about co-ops. I can see why they put labels that it was communism and socialism and all kinds of things. But it is democracy at, I call the big D level, big D democracy. Most of the time, the people who come on here talk about the co-op democracy. It's a small D and this Democratic and Republican conventions and the voting for the presidents and for governors and for Senate and housing as the big D. But see, what I have learned and I've come to realize that at the cooperative level, you really practice democracy day in and day out. That's why I call it the big D. And what you end up finding out is that people that work and live in co-ops and they learn how to govern, then they go out and vote. And then they run for school boards and city councils, attorney generals, because they end up learning the benefits and the values of participation. President Obama said that democracy is not a spectator sport, not something you sit on the couch, watch. Active democracy, the big D, is where you get out and you participate. That's what happens in co-ops. In order to have a successful cooperative, the members must participate. So let me give you the definition of co-op. Co-op is any business you can think of. Any business that you can think of could be a cooperative because it depends on who owns and who controls it. If it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. Not as many of those around. There are some, and it's growing. And the stat that I heard, it was 60% of those new worker co-ops are people of color. It talked about a lady in New York that was a maid, a cleaning lady. She was making seven bucks an hour before they formed a co-op. After they formed a cooperative, she's making 20 bucks an hour. That's more than what Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton is talking about. They're talking about 15 bucks an hour, the minimum wage, which I would much rather see them put the money into forming worker co-ops because they can make more than 15, and it will not cause the economy to inflate. Because when you raise the labor, the people that own it, all they're going to do is raise the prices. But when the person, when the labor owns the business, then they get to participate in management, and they get to participate in the profit distribution. So they can make more money than 15 bucks an hour, and it won't cause inflation. That's a worker cooperative. And then the consumer, if the consumer owns and controls 
the business, that they buy and own the business. Then you have a consumer cooperative, and you find those in credit unions. Most people, credit unions don't know they're in a co-op. You find that in housing co-ops. Uh, there's a health clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, where the patients own it. And in, in those cases, the consumer then says how the co-op is run. The consumer makes the policies. They, they vote for the board of directors. And then most often those board of directors are members of the cooperative. And they make policies and procedures that's best for the consumer. Food co-ops, a lot of them are consumer co-ops. And food co-ops did a lot in labeling. They're the ones that started that because the consumer <laughs> wanted to know what was in the products. And I believe Trader Joe and Whole Foods looked at the consumer co-ops and said, hey, if we market this more, and this is what the cooperatives don't do. They don't tell the story. If you have any questions or comments, please call 1-800-450-7876. And if you want to talk about the honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others of Tim Kaine, Mike Spence, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, please call in. We're going to take our first break, and we'll be right, right back after news and weather. So please call in if you have a question or comment. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and this is Everything Cooperative. You know, we have a web page, and it's called everything.coop. Everything.coop. You can go on there, and you can sign up to receive our press releases on who's going to be on the show the following week. And you can listen to previous interviews with different cooperators around the world, but particularly here in the U.S., it's a vast numbers of business and people. But it's amazing how little is known about it, and this is why the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program, to get out to, to the benefits of cooperation, the benefits of working together, the benefits to a family, to a business, to a community, and to the U.S., and eventually the world. Because of the cooperative principles, values and principles. You know, all co-ops don't operate under these values and principles. All of them don't. But in order to be a cooperative, these are the values and principles you need to adhere to. And those that do have a much better chance of success over the long term, over the long haul, year in and year out. Now, NCBA, the National Cooperative Business Association, and you can get to them with ncba.coop, their webpage. They've been around 100 years this year, celebrating 100 years. They were formed in March of 1916 when a loaf of bread was $5. I mean, five cents, excuse me, five cents. And a car was, I think, $300. NCBA has been around for 100 years. Co-ops have been around quite some time. I just mentioned a Greenbelt Homes up in Greenbelt, Maryland, right down the street from the studio. We're in Silver Springs, Maryland. And it was built in the 30s and 40s during the Great Depression. Co-ops back then were a major piece of what Roosevelt put in place because he knew the value of people working together. 
We have a telephone call. Good morning. Are you still there? Yeah. Do you hear me? Yes. What's your name? Herbert Fisher. Hey, Mr. Fisher. How you doing? I'm doing well, Vernon. How are you? Excellent, sir. Excellent. I called in to support the show and the goal you're trying to reach and to make my comment not on the vice presidential candidates, who, unfortunately, I don't know that well, but generally that cooperators have not exposed what they have created and the social and political and economic benefits that grow out of it enough to even get into the political parties' platforms. Yes. And I just wanted to make that point that there needs to be more effort to get to the platform makers to show the benefits because most cooperatives need to have governmental policy support, just as you mentioned the the, uh, farm cooperatives of the 1930s, the providing credit unions, with depository insurance. And during the 60s and early 70s, housing programs that realistically permitted thousands of housing cooperatives to be created, who now, 50 years later, with very few exceptions, have proven that they're the only vehicle that provides sustainable, affordable housing. And most of those cooperatives created 50 years ago still survive and are in better shape than they were physical and financial than they were when they were created. It's a story that isn't getting to the politicians. Herb, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, just telling the audience a little background, I met Herb Fisher with the National Association of Housing Co-op some 15 years ago, and uh, I would sit at his knee, almost literally, as he told me about co-ops, and he's done the most to help me to learn about co-ops. And I just want to thank you publicly, Herb, for all that you've done to teach me and others about this cooperative model. But as as you would teach me and I would read the research, I I found exactly what you're saying, that housing co-ops, Every variable you can look at. There was the one research that looked at HUD-sponsored housing co-ops compared to HUD-sponsored apartment buildings. And in every variable, housing co-ops outperformed the, the apartment buildings. The people felt better living in them. They paid less rent. They participated. They even had less crimes. Everything you can look at, anything you can think of. And why they don't spend more money I think, Herb, and I, I've come to this on my own, but I think it's because of things like Citizen United and the politicians that get in there and they want to create rules through HUD to help those rich people make more money. What do you, what do you think about that one? Well, I think that is correct, uh, just as government policy up to the New Deal was to promote uh, the beginning of corporate farming at the expense of family farms. Mm. I've had the opportunity to go down last summer to the Federation of Southern Co-ops annual meeting. I'm going to try to get down again this year. 
That's black-owned family farms that was started during uh, the 60s that came out of the civil rights movement to help black farmers keep their land. And when people formed to come together, then <laughs> just had more power to, to solve problems and working together and then also to create, again, social wealth and financial wealth. So you got the farmers, you got the credit unions, you got housing co-ops. And now the growing worker cooperatives. Yep. The working cooperatives that are now the focus of development, it appears, in the United States to provide workers with control over their own uh, employment situation. Well, Herb, were you able to listen to the program on the Internet? Because I know no, you're. I was not. I must admit that I have uh, not technologically up to date equipment. Okay. Well, I. I know you're in Florida now, and uh, if you go on our webpage, this is for everybody out there. If you go on everything.coop and go to the bottom of the first page, that home page, you can click on it. It says, click I, to I listen did, to everything I, co-op. I did that, but my equipment didn't bring it in. Okay. So uh, I don't think I should take up time of your show over technological issues. Well, I just want to tell everybody, when you click on that, it takes you to... 1450's webpage, and at the top of the page it says listen live, top right-hand corner, and you can listen live, and that's for everybody out there. Herb, uh, I really want to get down to see you probably after the election because I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, supporting Hillary. Um, I, I, enjoy, I would enjoy that very much, but in the meantime, keep up your good work. Thank you, Herb. Okay. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening. Herb Fisher, 80-some-year-old man, uh, originally out of Chicago, Illinois, is a lawyer who has helped a lot of cooperators, housing cooperators particularly, but he has helped a lot of people uh, to understand what a co-op, and I'm one of his peepers, one of his mentees. Just over maybe a 15-year period, he just would tell me about what's going on and how it's happening in this co-op and the laws and uh, just a phenomenal human being. Um, and then his partner is Roger Wilcox, who lived up in Connecticut and helped to develop a lot of housing co-ops in the 50s and the 60s. And then the the HUD money uh, dried up. Politics changed. And uh, it's been harder to create affordable housing co-ops. But I, I wish I had uh, asked him, because there, there is a, an insurance that the housing cooperatives, when they get the loans, they'll pay to the government so that the government insures the loan with the money that is paid into this insurance. And this is the only insurance where they just haven't had a lot of foreclosures and that money has just kept growing, growing, growing. It's another testament of how the housing co-ops work, how co-ops work. It's because of the knowledge, the fifth principle, education, training, and information educating the members, educating the managers, educating the employees, this constant training that happens, consistent training. When this training happens, then people make informed decisions and they are involved. Now, i got to tell you what I found out with this housing co-ops, because how I learned about co-ops, I started managing them 23 years ago. And in managing them, it takes an attitudinal change. And we're going through that with Oaks Management right now because we're in a process of changing into a worker cooperative. And there's an attitudinal change. 
the attitude in a housing co-op is from a tenant to an owner. Now, you just don't pick up the phone when your child threw the something and stopped up the toilet. If you're in a housing co-op, particularly a marketing cooperative, you pay for that yourself. Some affordable housing will pay for it, and some of them, the resident, the owner, has to pay for it. But once that change happens, that attitudinal change, where you go from a tenant to an owner, once they understand they're an owner, they take better care of their property. That's why maintenance becomes lower. That's why rent then becomes lower. And the other reason rent becomes lower is because you don't have that profit building, that 10, 15, 20% profit. And every time there's an increase every year, your rent goes up significantly more mathematically. So you have less maintenance, less cost in the housing co-ops. And then people get engaged in the running of the business, this housing co-op. And in that engagement, they look out for each other, caring for others, that ethical principle. And then not only do they care for each other and care for their property, they get into the social responsibility of what's happening in the community and how they can help. Crime is lower. So no matter what the problem is, they get involved, open and honest. That's what makes them work. And the housing co-ops that I've seen to fail, they don't follow these rules. Just that simple. You get a Donald Trump in as president. He wants to run everything his way, do it his way. And more often than not, when you get power, there's a tendency for corruption. But when you get absolute power, you get absolute corruption. And the housing co-ops that I've seen fail, that's what caused them to fail. They don't follow the principles. They don't have member, democratic member control, which is the second principle. First one is volunteer and open membership, open to all persons regardless of gender, social, racial, or political. And when we compared Hillary Clinton with Donald Trump last week, it's easy to see, particularly this week in the Democratic National Convention, it's easy to see it's inclusive where Don include Donald, the Donald excludes people. Looks like he wants to be king. He wants to be king and then say, we're going to build a wall. We're not going to let people in. We're going to not let Muslims in. We are against this group and that group, how they look, or what their sexual preferences are, or what their religion is, or exclusion. I don't know how he gets making America great again. America's extremely great. Wonderful place. We have our problems. That's why we need organizations like Black Lives Matter. Too often when a black life is taken, it's just sort of like push under the rug, nobody cares. Something happens to a white person and it's a big hoorah. All lives matter, but we need a focus that just can't go around killing black folks. Volunteer and open membership is open to all persons. So here in America, you know, you can get the education. Democratic member control is the second one. One member, one vote. That's the way it is, is looked at. We're in a capitalistic model. It's the people that vote are the people that have the money. They're the ones that buy the shares. In a cooperative model, the members are the either the workers or the consumers. Depends on who owns and controls the business. 
And then there's one member, one vote. And then you have members' economic participation. By the way, for Hillary last week, we gave an A for volunteer and open membership, an A for democratic member control, an A for member economic participation. For Donald Trump, an F one open to all persons, F minus, if you will. We don't know how to do him with one member, one vote, except that because we don't have a lot of history with him there. Matter of fact, we have almost no history. We have history of him as a businessman that is the only vote that matters is his vote as an entrepreneur. The workers didn't matter. Vendors didn't matter. You just take a bankruptcy. Leave people holding the bag. So I want to say F. I just don't see any experience where he is open to all people and open to democracy. That Donald would be King Trump. How I see him seeing himself. So maybe I do know, and that's an F. Would be his grade there. And then member economic participation, that's contribute equitably and decide how to allocate the profits or the surplus. So members' economic participation is the members have to pay something in. That could be nine dollars, five dollars, a hundred dollars, ten thousand dollars. I've seen housing, affordable housing cooperatives where the buy-in is $10,000. Last week or two weeks ago, we had the the food co-op in Ithaca, New York, where membership was $9. Oh, we also had uh, online in in the 1930s, there was a, a credit union that got started in El Paso, Texas, five White men started it, and they paid $5 each to get to started. That's $25. Because in El Paso, they could not get loans. Now, it is a lot of Hispanics are in that co-op. It's over a billion dollars assets. And they created some affordable housing co-ops there. So member economic participation on Hillary's side and the Democratic side, I would like to see more done there more money put in for worker co-ops, more money out of HUD going into housing co-ops where you get people an opportunity to increase their financial wealth. That's what that other that research said. It said that folks in a housing co-op, another research out of Atlanta, that the people in that housing cooperative, they made 7.1% return off of their investment. That's that down payment, whether it was $1,000 participation or $10,000. But it did not take into consideration the write-offs. You still can write off the interest, your your portion of the interest, your portion of the property taxes, so you get a write-off. It didn't take that into consideration. And it also didn't take into consideration the opportunity. They had an opportunity gain of $200 a month because they were paying $500 a month for a two-bedroom. We're down the street. The apartment building was $700 or $800 a month, light apartment building. And this was over 40 years. And that's why this, it, the gap of rent that, that it's paid or maintenance fee or co-op fee, what it's called, in the cooperative, it was so much lower. So they had another two to $300 that they didn't have to pay that they could invest so there's huge return in terms of wealth formation for the cooperative. And it's the same thing if it's a food co-op. If the food co-op is profitable, the consumers, they get a percentage of that based on how much they spent. They get a return based on how much you use the services or the products of the cooperative. 
for autonomy and independence, you know, is controlled by the members, basically. We don't really know where Hillary would be on that one, and it's more like when she is open and volunteer to everybody that she would be in this A-B category, you know, but controlled by members. Again, Donald looks like he wants to have this control. He wants to have the say. He wants to be King Trump. So membership and having a say under his, it's a D or an F. He's down at the bottom again. The fifth one is education, training, and information. You know, Bernie Sanders is, is real clear, yeah, A. He's real clear A on most of all of these things. I, I viewed him at A, and that's why I supported him. As a matter of fact, he had produced a legislation to the, to the Senate to have money for worker cooperatives. And I saw him on a video panel where he was talking about the benefits of worker cooperatives, or this whole panel was. Uh, he was the master of ceremony for this panel. So this autonomy and independence with education, training, and information is how you can make informed decisions when you have control. For Bernie and now Hillary, I had given Hillary a B before, but based on what Bernie talked about, it's an A, that they're looking for ways, and they put in her platform, and he's helped to bring her platform up to make it more progressive. What they have done is, given all Americans the opportunity to get a higher education and not have this huge amount of debt, this huge amount of debt. Two of my children have massive, what three, have massive debt, educational debt. I was able to get through school, undergrad, by borrowing $700 each semester and then working on campus and paying it back month by month. But tuition at Bluefield State was $550 a month, I mean, a semester, full time. That's what books cost. Well, no, that's what books cost when my youngest went to school. They tell me it's up to $1,000 if you don't go online or don't buy them used. So folks have come away with huge, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of educational debt, particularly if you go get medical doctor degree, a law degree, PhD, but even undergrad. I get one daughter who undergrad at Howard has a lot of debt. I have another daughter who MBA at University of Maryland, a lot of debt. My son, a PhD at a University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, a whole lot of debt. His wife, Harvard Law Degree, tremendous amount of debt. So Bernie and Hillary are talking about ways of allowing our young people to go get an education, a college degree, and come away with no debt, and I'm all for that. Just how to figure out how to make it work. And one way of just making it work is by taxing the rich, the billionaires, the millionaires and billionaires. Let them pay their fair share. Fair share being the same percentage as the rest of us pay. Not get away by socking money in the Bahamas or other havens and then not paying taxes on it or just having a lower tax rate. I don't know where Donald Trump is on this. I don't know where Donald Trump is on anything except that he's the greatest, not like Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali proved that he was the greatest, that this world is, the U.S. is in bad shape, and he's the one that sort of helped us get out of it. Other than that, all he says is, believe me, I am going to solve these problems. But he doesn't put forth any plans. Too often, if you look at the fact-finding, it, the facts that he used are not correct. 
I gave him a C, but I don't know what it is. It might be another F in Donald Trump. And the sixth principle is cooperation among cooperatives. That's working together again, but in the cooperatives, the housing co-ops, the consumer cooperatives. And the other two that we didn't talk about when we gave the definition are purchasing cooperatives. A lot of farmers use these co-ops and artists where they come together and they form a co-op so they can hire managers to help them buy what they need. And when you buy in volume, you get more often a better product at a lower price, whether that's gas or seed or equipment. And then each of them would use the equipment and schedule how they use the equipment. That's a purchasing cooperative. And on the other side, they would have marketing cooperatives. Where then the farmer's job would be to do the production, farm, have somebody else buying what he needs, and then they couldn't afford to hire somebody. Each of those farmers, particularly the smaller ones down in, in the south, come together and they form this purchasing cooperative and they can buy their products and the things that they need at a lower price and get a better product. But then they have a marketing cooperative, which they get hire people in this marketing cooperative to sell their products so that they can do the negotiations and they can have more markets to sell to and then therefore get a better price. And that frees up the farmer to do what the farmer knows best, and that is to produce the food and the grain, and the cattle, or whatever they are growing. Livestock, chickens, eggs, whatever they're doing, they can spend their time doing that and doing that well as opposed to having to negotiate all that they need in order to produce and then sell those products. So co-ops and the U.S. Department of Agriculture knows more than any other department I've come to learn about co-ops, more than HUD, about how co-ops work, how they're formed. This education is a critical piece of it, and then this cooperation among cooperatives helps the cooperators, each individual one, perform better. And then there's concern for community. And the concern for the community that is not only concern for the individual cooperator and the individual business, but the community that cooperation lives in. And then a wider community, like concern for our environment and how the environment is heating up. And all of the Democrats believe in that and they're looking for ways of, of solving that particular problem. But who would be most concerned for the overall community, Hillary or Donald Trump? Who is most concerned about how we leave our world? See everybody next Thursday. Have a great week. 1450 WOL.